Hey, Nora. Oh my God, Sandy, it is so good to hear your voice. So good to hear your voice. I've missed you. I missed you too. I feel like I really needed to talk to you these past couple of weeks. <laughs> oh my God. So much so that we actually have spoken a little bit in the in-between. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> a lot has happened. I feel like we went on break and the world did not get the memo. The world was like, we will continue to have fucked up shit happen that you will be dying to talk about. Um, but we remained <laughs> true and stayed giving ourselves a break, which I think both of us were working over the break because that's who we are. And um, that sucks. We shouldn't be those people. <laughs> but it is good. It is good that we got this break. Yeah, it was amazing. I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be back. We're back. I guess, like, let's start a uh, new season, new year. I mean, I know that there's some sort of ancient calendar that starts in September because that's why the school year starts in September. So it's a new freaking year. We have a live show to announce. We have a live show to announce. Yes. 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 How yes. Exciting. Yes. So more information is going to come. But if you are in Montreal or the Montreal region or hell, if you love us enough to drive, uh, I don't know, from Kingston or <laughs> wherever, Toronto, Valdor, uh, we will be in Montreal on October 20th. Now, we are working really hard to also get a show on October 21st in Ottawa. Ottawa, you got a lot of shit going on that night. And I have I've struck struck out with, uh, I don't know, eight venues. So if any of you got keys to a really nice space that can accommodate like 100 people, get at us. Let us know. Uh, we'd really like to hear that <laughs> because we we need some space ideas. But Montreal, 20th of October, that's confirmed. And there's going to be more confirmations coming in the next couple of weeks. Yay. Very, very exciting. And potentially something on the West Coast for the end of the year. But we'll hold that until it is confirmed. But very exciting. You're going to see us in real life. And uh, there, honestly, um, it, once we start announcing those, those shows, please sign up and come by. They're always a lot of fun. It's always packed. And we always have a really good time. So please, please join us. Uh, it's going to be great. Totally, totally, totally. Um, did you have anything you wanted to talk about the time you were away? Because I have something I want to talk about from the last couple of weeks. Oh, there's, I mean, aren't we just going to be talking about stuff that's happened from the time that I was away? <laughs> oh, I meant like your own personal time away. Like you had this amazing experience or something like this, because I'm about to tell you a, sh a story about something that happened to me in the last couple of weeks. And I just want to give the chance for you to do the same thing. <laughs> Okay, fine. Uh, yes, I will. <laughs> I'll keep the listeners in suspense <laughs> on your story. And I will just say this. Very short. I spent the last little bit in Europe. And I, you know, I've always had this sort of politic that our urban spaces could be fully, like, redesigned to be more pedestrian friendly, uh, more friendly to people who use multiple modes of transportation. And it was really, really nice to experience it, um, to experience being in cities in which it actually, there's like diminishing returns on taking um, vehicular transportation anywhere uh, that, you know, you might as well walk if you're going to take uh, an Uber because it's going to take you the same amount of time. Or, you know, if you are taking some sort of a vehicular transportation. It's specifically for access needs. Um, and there are multiple different nodes of access points for people. It was just really, really great uh, to, to be living that. And I wish that we had more of that uh, in Canada. We need more of that in Canada. Okay, so we did not plan this, but that is an amazing segue into the story that I want to tell. So. Really? Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay. So I live in Quebec City, which has the, the the fun fact attached to it as being the city with the highest per capita car ownership and the most per capita 
highway kilometers, which is ridiculous because our city is quite small and the region is small. And um, you can literally go to any place in the city like seven different ways. Like it's a really very foolishly laid out city, but we're also very European. And so there is a limit to how much you can cram into the downtown because the downtown was built for fucking horses, right? And I've mentioned this before because it's a big deal, but there's this big fight to get a tramway. Uh, Quebec City had a tramway from like the 1800s until 1940s, and then they pulled it out to build a fucking highway downtown, which eventually started to get rolled back more and more. And uh, you know, it's been decided, like at the municipal level, at the provincial level and the federal funding, we are getting our fucking tramway 30 years of work finally coming to fruition. There's a group in town that's called Quebec Mérite Mieux, Quebec Deserves Better. And they are trying to fucking stop the tramway through a lawsuit that's declaring the project illegal. They are about as smart as you might think they would be, about as antisocial as you think they would be. They're cranky motherfuckers. And they have a couple of signs. They had about 13 signs up around in my neighborhood. And I just would just look at them and just so angry all the time. And so over our uh, holiday, my partner and I were like, okay, we need to to get like whatever citizens organizing, like citizens pushed this project in the first place, whatever citizens group exists, we need to fucking figure out what we can do to, to kind of relaunch it or to push it into like the spotlight because all we hear is about this fucking group, Quebec Mary Muir. So my partner emails a bunch of uh, local advocacy groups, emails city councillors and is like, what the fuck exists? And everyone responds to say nothing. There's no citizens group. And so we were like, fuck it. We're going to fucking make a citizens group. <laughs> so we got someone to design a poster. We bankrolled printing of uh, 60 and then 500 and then 1,000. And within less than a week, our Facebook group went from zero to more than 3,000 people. Oh, my God. <laughs> the other group, by the way, has been around for a while and they only have 900. And our, 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 our signs are almost all gone. That, that first shipment of 560 is, is almost all gone. And by the time this episode airs, it, they should be all gone. People are so excited about this, this group that like people are smiling. They're running up to us. They're begging us for, for placards. People are at my door all the time, picking them up. We had citizens organize drop-off spots all over the city this past weekend to, uh, to get as many out as possible. And it is so awesome to see people go oh my god there's a campaign of like joy and happiness and <laughs> making the city better and where where has this been the whole time and and all it took was like you know us being able to know how to organize and have access to some resources and you know take a bit of a risk hoping that would make the money back by selling the placards that we're that we're paying for and it is so awesome it's so awesome that is great what a way to start the season. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's and like and now people are like doing their own thing. So, you know, I debated um the the guy who's the head of Quebec Merritt Muir. I debated him on TVA, which is a TV station in Quebec. And one of the things that he said was that um, you know, he lives in this neighborhood called Saint Sacrement, and he said that there's no one in Saint Sacrement that supports the project. And so this interview gets shared because the group is super, super active as well. There's a lot of people that have been just dying to talk about this. And so what is what does someone do? When he when he hears uh, Monsieur Charette say that no one in Saint Sacrement supports the project, he goes to Saint Sacrement. He talks to one hundred people wow. and asks them, "Are you in favor or opposed this project?" And he comes back to us and he's like, 70 in favor, eleven opposed, and the rest didn't know." <laughs> and it's just like. That's amazing, I you know, that. like all the self-organizing city councillors are loving it. We're hearing from politicians of all stripes. I mean, the conservative party's against it, but they're fucking marginal and they can go to fucking hell. Um, it's it's really cool. So if you live in a city and or a town or municipality or region or whatever, and you know that there's popular support for something, but all you're hearing is the negativity and the and the and the people angry and trying to stop things that need to happen. Be that spark, because uh People often are just waiting for that spark. And once you have that spark, you can find the right people to start putting things in place to actually build a, a grassroots movement. Fuck yeah. I love that. All right. Let's let's move from yeah. that straight into some gratitude. So for all of you who have been supporting us uh, over the break, thank you so much. Uh, we have lots of people to thank. So Nora, take it away. 
Yes. And and just so you know, um, we misplaced some of the emails. So if you've been waiting to hear your name and we don't say it today, like just shoot us a message and we'll make sure we say it. Okay. Thank you so, so much to everyone that supported the podcast, especially that let us take the vacation and not, you know, you know, kept on donating. That's super cool. But specifically, thank you to Derek, Miranda, Andrew, Kate, Kirk, Erstwhile Gamer, Colette, Reggie, Grady, Bob, Canadian Troll Farm, William, Matthew, Elizabeth, Isabel, Corey, and Andy. Thank you all so much. Thank you so much. You are the reason we are going to be able to do a live show or a few live shows um, into this fall season. So thank you. Thank you so much. The other thing I want to mention before we uh, continue tonight is that it is today is September the 4th that we are recording this. And there is some very awful news that we are hearing right now, but we don't have a lot of information about. Some terrible violence is happening in Saskatchewan at James Smith Cree Nation. Um, So far, what we're hearing is that there has been a stabbing attack and that 10 people have been confirmed killed and 15 others have been injured. And this is just awful, horrendous news that we're hearing, this violence. Um, and uh, just so, you know, we don't, we don't know too much about this, but, you know, our hearts are obviously go out to the people um, in that community. And we are going to be following up to make sure we do know more about what's happening here. Um, but we are going to be talking about violence quite a bit in this particular episode, given what's happened in the last few weeks. So I didn't want to start without us acknowledging that that is something that's happening right now. These numbers might rise, sadly. Um, you'll know much more than we do by the time you're listening to this. And as, as Sandy says, uh, our hearts are with uh, all of the communities affected. Okay, so a lot has happened while we've been away. And I don't even know where to start. Like, I mean, I know (laughs) know. where my body wants to start. It is fucking 42 degrees right now in Los Angeles. It is 42 degrees. Mm -hmm. And dear listener, when we record, I have to turn off my AC so that you folks get as good quality sound as possible. And I'm fucking hot, Nora. Like, my phone won't even work. (laughs) It's, like, overheated all the time. And I'm just like, man, like... Uh, we are in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where my body wants to start, but I, that's not where we're going to start. But I'm just like very, very uh, uncomfortable and upset at the state of our world. Yes, we've got flooding in Pakistan. We've got rivers drying up in China and parts of Europe. Um, you know, I I've, I've, I play soccer, you know, several... Fires in Newfoundland and Labrador. Fires in Newfoundland and Labrador. I, I play soccer pretty regularly, and and almost every game I've played this year has been in the rain. The last game was so rainy that my eyes filled with water, and I couldn't see two feet in front of me. I've never been in rain that thick and intense. That's not true. I have seen rain like that, and it was in Korea. <laughs> it was not in Quebec City. So yeah, something is happening. Um, and I don't know, maybe Sandy, you missed it, but can Canadian oil companies are still making record profits? <laughs> of course. Of course. Okay, so there's that. But I think that <laughs> some of the biggest news that we've heard uh, over the last little bit that we probably want to dive into is Um, this kind of news is starting to be a little bit conflated, but they are separate issues. One is um, the death threats and targeting that journalists have been receiving, notably journalists of color uh, in Canada uh, and all people who are uh, women or assumed to be women who are being targeted uh, by these really awful very violent um, and disgustingly descriptive threats that have been sent to their emails. Um, And then also uh, this experience that our finance minister had. um, I don't, it's, it's very hard for me to describe this without 
um, <laughs> showing how I feel about the whole thing, but I'm going to try. Um, uh, the experience that our finance minister, Chrystia Freeland, had when she was uh, uh, berated, verbally berated by um, a, an angry, angry man who wanted to feel powerful for a moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we can always start where power is. Um, and so that would place us into the discussions of Christia Freeland rather than the discussions of the journalists. And, you know, you said that they're two separate issues. And I have seen them conflated a lot. I mean, they're happening around the same time. And, and the people doing the attacks are often the same people. And so I think it is easy to conflate them. But... The conversation around Christian Freeland being verbally abused by this piece of shit guy in Grand Prairie, I was left with so many questions, not the least of which, uh, why didn't we immediately hear that this guy had been charged? Like, is this not verbal harassment or is this not criminal harassment? Or is this actually permitted in the criminal code? And if it's permitted in the criminal code, then maybe that's a conversation, right? That, oh, no, actually being screamed at or yelled at, that's, that's, that's fine, actually. That's not illegal. And maybe you have a conversation whether or not it should be illegal. But there was no conversation after. I mean, there was like a couple of days later, the RCMP like visited him or something like this. But I see something like that and I say, this guy needs a fucking intervention in like 10 different ways. And I don't think police are the fucking people that should be doing this intervention. But what are we doing about these individuals? There was, however, very little conversation about that. I did see a lot of conversation, though, about how Christopher Freeland is a very, very small woman, very, very small. And this man towered over her and was violent towards her. And I don't think that's the reading that we should take away from this situation. No, I mean, that is, um, frankly, just so stunning to me, like just at the kind of white womanhood of it all, because uh, let's be super clear that if this was uh, Selena Caesar Chavan, right, like this, the, the, the whole she's so small, like and, and helpless, that sort of um, uh, response um, would not be afforded onto uh, a politician like Selena, who who had, uh, who was verbally attacked by Justin Trudeau by her own um, discussion, uh, right? And we don't we don't have that same sort of uh, response culturally to it that is reserved for white women. But also, I I mean, I saw that you made this argument on Twitter and then immediately left Twitter because I was seeing the sorts of responses you were getting, and I was like, ah, the reason I hate this search engine. Um, but also, it's just like, are we really going to divorce who she is from what's happening here? Are we going to do that? Like, I'll let's, I want to be super fucking clear. I don't think that this dude, I don't support this dude. I don't support anything that this dude has done. But I will also be super clear that I have been an angry person, angry at a politician who has approached a politician and yelled in public at that politician, probably some profanities. <laughs> like, Glenn Murray, looking at you. Like, I've done that <laughs> several times. And I don't think that you can have such a conversation about this sort of thing happening and divorce it from who the person is. Christian Freeland is one of the most powerful people in the country. She is one of the most powerful people in the country. If you approach her, there are people around who are going to be there to protect her, okay? There's going to be a lot of protection that she has. This guy, obviously a piece of shit. But the discussion of how we treat how people who are just, you know, civilians are able to approach and uh, discuss and talk to power, especially right now, 
especially right now when people are disenfranchised in so many different ways, especially right now when promise after promise has been broken to people and their experiences in their lives right now are so hard as a result of shit that she is directly responsible for. Experiences during the pandemic to experiences with inflation right now to the bailouts that happened to the bailouts that didn't she is responsible. And I think we have to expect that people are going to express their frustration with politicians and their inaction and how shitty that they have been to people. But Sandy, uh, he, he wasn't making a coherent political argument he wasn't yelling at her about inflation. If he was saying, get the fuck out of my province because of what you've done over inflation, it would have been okay. <laughs> That's I mean, an argument that I heard a lot. <laughs> like, who, like, I, listen, I don't know, who, like, how we expect that we're, like, living in this democracy, apparently. Like, we, we expect that this is supposed to be a democracy. But, and that somehow means that if we want to engage in the political process, there are only these very legitimate channels by which to do so. And in order to do that, we have to be studied and as polished as a politician but have zero resources to do it. Come on. Mm-hmm. Fuck off. Like, come on. That's not okay. That's not an okay assumption. Look, I don't agree with that dude. And this isn't me just being like, you know, like, if I can do it, he can do it. Blah, blah. No, fuck that. Look, I don't agree with that dude and whatever he was on about. Like, he obviously needs uh, some support in his life in a, in a big way. But also, I don't think that uh, that the way that the media is discussing Christian Freeland and equating her experience to what is happening to these journalists is uh, either fair, nor does it make a lick of sense. And I was, you know, just before the show, I was saying to Nora, like, is it the case that I have put myself in too many weird situations with really dangerous men that this is this like, I just can't fathom this. But uh, it's not just like my own experiences. Like, as someone who has been the target of gender based violence, okay, like we cannot conflate gender based violence with the response that people have to a politician who is one of the most powerful people in the country, okay? Like, there is perhaps some intersecting lines happening here, but I I am willing to bet that if that was Justin Trudeau, the guy probably would have done the same thing. Mm -hmm. I'm just willing to bet if that was Jagmeet Singh, he probably would have done the same thing. Yeah. So... There's just another layer here that if we're going to be discussing this, you got you cannot take her power out of it. It is the most important thing in the interaction, the relationship between those two. If you are calling out the interaction between him and her as gender-based violence, what you're doing is you're placing all of the power on him in this gendered relationship where he has more power than she does because he's a man. You cannot ignore that she also has more power than he does because she is, like, number two in the country. Like, that also has to be part of your analysis. Well, and it was kind of an interesting bait and switch, too, because it was like, where was the conversation about her own security? Like, the staffers that she was with, they're, they, like, I mean, just as her, their boss, she should have said fucking, like, don't insult my staff or why are you acting like, you know, like, there's so many. I, I, I look at this and I'm like... I have had events and meetings with the prime minister's office and very high level officials. They do not show up with no security. They do not show up Mm -mm. as if they're fucking coming to a meeting like any other average person. So there was an entire conversation about what the fuck is happening in this situation that was completely missed and obviously was all collapsed into the gender based violence discussion to 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 make this a, a, a black and white issue, to make this a, either you are on his side or you're on her side um, kind of issue. And 
that just helps the liberals brand. That's what the liberals do. They use these issues cynically to be able to pr- like produce support, generate support. And let us not forget Freeland has been very quiet for the last six weeks. Very, very fucking quiet. Uh, we've heard much more from Melanie Jolie about international stuff, which obviously she's the foreign affairs minister, but Freeland had been doing more of that work, even though she was the finance minister. And so for six weeks in the past summer, she was pretty much out of the news. And so she reappears in the news and it's this, it's through this. And it's like, okay, right? Like she didn't ask this to be news, Buddy filmed it, Buddy put it online. This is part of what he does. He's a far right piece of shit. Um, You know, anti-hate, the Canada Anti-Hate Network has a whole background on who this fucking piece of shit guy is. But rather than any of the other discussions like fucking inflation or affordability or where the fuck have you been this past summer or, you know, COVID is still on, your government's done fucking nothing and is pretending that COVID never happened. None of that comes out. And the entire news cycle is I support Christopher Freeland. Very fucking cynical, very fascinating. And for someone who's going to be taking the prime minister's position, the second that Justin Trudeau's popularity starts to tank, this is part of the brand. Like, sorry, folks, This is fucking part of the brand. And I also say this also as someone who is not very tall, who has also been in many, many situations where very tall men have been towering over me, fucking dying to clock me, knowing that they can't. (laughs) Like, not in the way that they can't clock Christopher Freeland because they'll have a bullet in their fucking head and they'll be in jail for the rest of their lives, but because they were in public situations where they couldn't hit me. Because it is not a private domestic violence situation, as I heard from so many people putting that that analysis onto this it's like this is where identity politics is very very difficult to untangle the politics of identity will place uh that gender dynamic above the power dynamic in a situation like this for cynical means and i think we have to be really careful about it because if we allow it to happen then we completely misread the situation and you also can the way that we are doing in this episode say that this guy is a piece of shit and someone should have clocked him and what the fuck and why is he saying this hor- horrific shit to, to to Freeland? That's not that's not fair. That's not making a point. That's not good political pressure, blah, blah, blah. All of that is totally, totally, totally true. And she's still the fucking number two person in this country. And then also fuck everybody that's like, yeah, but th- they don't have any power. It's like, okay, that's a whole other fucking issue and that's not true and fuck that fucking piece of propaganda line as well. Yeah, I I mean, I, I don't know that I agree with you 100% on the way that you talked about identity politics, although this is I feel like this is a coming episode, so we should just talk about it deeper Ooh, at yes. some point. But I what I will say about that is that I the politics of identity are politics of power. It is an analysis of power. If you forget power in your analysis of you know, identity politics, and you are just creating a like a list of people who are on top of each other, like identity here, Trump's identity, this, whatever, you're doing it wrong. It is, it is an analysis of power. And it's an analysis of power based on how our identities give us power. But that doesn't mean that the other things that give us power in this world, including, you know, your economic status, what job you have, like all sort, whether you're a parent or not a parent, all of these, whether you're married or not married, all of these things have different relational power in our world. And certainly being the number two politician in the fucking country is a relational power that she has to every single other person that she comes into contact with in Canada and outside of Canada and needs to be a part of any sort of power analysis a dynamic you can't leave it out yeah so stop leaving it out <laughs> enough enough of the pr for the liberal party but okay so then let's talk about then harassment of journalists because as we've said a couple of times this got collapsed into the same issue how do we read what's happening with journalists and what is being missed in this conversation yeah so what like please don't okay the journalists <laughs> were being attacked are not Christian Freeland. They do not have the same levels of power or access to power as Christian Freeland. We cannot make these these equate these these um, these professions um, in any which way. And I hope that the way that we've been discussing that makes this very obvious. So these two things shouldn't be discussed. Um, 
as like uh, the same phenomena. They're different phenomena. What I think is attractive to discussing them as the same phenomena is, is one that, you know, like this white womanhood stuff, but also because I think that um, people really want to see or want to believe that this type of violence, this type of threat is coming from the same corner, the same place. And it's like containable. We can recognize it. It's that guy who's involved with these people who listen to these podcasts and read Jordan Peterson's book and, you know, like are, are this particular kind of guy. And so it's, it's attractive to try to put these things together to say that this is on the rise. And so what we are attacking is this thing, this new thing that is on the rise, that is targeting these journalists. And I am here to tell you that it is, we do that, we collapse these things together and we collapse the idea of this sort of violence at our peril. And we are not going to truly understand what's happening if we do that. As someone who is the recipient of consistent death threats that have been happening in my life since, I don't know, 2006, 2007, there is a certain type of person that responds to especially women who speak in a very violent way and who want to attack women. This is gender-based violence. Um, and we don't have something in our society that is truly useful in um, like reporting this or dealing with it. And it's really, really ugly. But it's not new. What is happening right now, the targeting of particular journalists, this is like a, a part of a much broader problem that has existed for some time and that definitely is an acute issue that needs attention um, that is distinct from what's happening uh, with Christian Freeland. So in the last couple of weeks, um, what I find very interesting is that the coverage is really focused on what the threats say, how disgusting they are, how grotesque they are, how they are differently grotesque for racialized women journalists versus white women journalists and this kind of thing. And I see this over and over, hear this over and over in radio or podcasts and in articles. And I'm afraid that what this recent round of online harassment kind of um, attention, because it kind of rises and falls, right? So we're in a, in a moment where it's like rot risen because it's, it's in people's faces um, because pe there's been a targeted movement to, to do this, right? Like this is how the far right operates is that they decide to do these campaigns of targeted harassment. But by the way that the conversation has been having – is like constantly erasing, erasing, erasing everything that came before 2020 or everything that came yes. before 2018 yes. or before yes. 2015 or before 2011. You know, it's like every, every single, I have yet to see a fucking mainstream piece even mention anything from before 2017. And even then, 2017 is like fucking ancient history. And and the tight, tight focus on the content and on the individuals involved um, sending the threats serves to tell Canadians that this is novel. This has never happened before. This is worse than it's ever been. And oh, my God, we, are, we have a crisis. And it's like, I think we do have a crisis. But I don't think that the crisis is new. I think that the crisis has been brewing for many, many, many years. And we've talked about that crisis many, many times on this podcast. And so then to see this this open letter come out, coordinated, I assume, by the Canadian Association of Journalists, of which I am not a member, and signed by, like, every fucking shitheaded employer that I can think of in the fucking media industry and some good organizations, you know, including my own union, not the Canadian Freelance Union, but our parent union uniform. And the only thing first of all they don't talk about any historical they don't talk about how this has continued to continue to continue continue the only fucking thing that they're able to come up with is focusing on more policing to save us poor journalists getting this harassment stunning like i feel like i'm fucking upside down yeah, yeah. 
It has been a part of a lot of the coverage is to talk about how the police aren't taking this seriously. We need the police to take this seriously. We need politicians to call on the police to take this seriously. We need the police to do something. The police aren't going to do anything about this. The police are not going to do anything about this. No, they're like literally laughing 100%. at this. They're laughing at this and letter. I want like I, I've started to think, actually, I'm starting to become convinced that it's not just like, you know, that society believes that policing is good or whatever, um, or that, you know, there's just so much propaganda that, you know, we can't get past the idea of what policing d does. I think for a lot of people, I think for a lot of people who are even on the left, I'm starting to be convinced that it's like it's easier to have something to point to that we can say should happen <laughs> and to come up with the solution yeah. itself. So it's easier to point to the police. It's easier to say, like, God, the police really need to take this seriously. So what does taking this seriously look like? Like, do people think that the police's, what, cyber crimes unit is going to get right down to work investigating IPs and doggedly tracking the violent men across the country who are on 8chan making um, light of all of this, this, this time that they're spending targeting uh, uh, journalists and, uh, you know, in some cases, you know, uh, doing much worse than that. Like, is that what we think is happening? Because that, that's not real. That is, that's fiction. That's TV. And if we know that that is fiction, and I know that so many people who've written about this in the last little bit, it's just been so frustrating to see. I know that many of you know that it's fiction. And so, but is it just easier? Is it easier to like wrap up a sentence? Is it easier to wrap up a thought by being like, God, yeah, you know, like at least I get to toss this one over to the police. It has nothing to do with me. You know, mm -hmm. like, gosh, the police really need to do something about that. And, and if I'm feeling really like making a challenge, I'll toss it over to politicians and the police. These, these two entities really have to do something about this. Yeah, they, they should, sure. Those entities should maybe do something about it. it <laughs> they should have done something about it fucking 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago. They're not going to. We have no institution in our society that operates on a universal way to take care of any sort of gender-based violence. It does not exist. It does not exist. The other news that came out quite recently, I think it came out either today or yesterday, is that um, the RCMP, like there was like this revelatory, oh my God, the RCMP were afraid that some of their cops were going to release documents to the convoy organizers, to you know the trucker convoy, um, uh, in a way that, you know, basically saying that the, the cops were like, oh man, our cops might be part of the convoy, which is like, yeah, duh. And also like, why, yeah, no why shit. are we surprised by that? Like, yes, <laughs> we know, we know, we know, like we can't trust the cops. We can't trust the cops. The cops can't trust the cops. No one can trust the cops. They're not going to be the ones <laughs> to solve this issue. And then so there were some folks who were online asking like, okay, fine, fine, we agree. But then what else should be done? And I like, I think that that question itself belies the like the ease with which, you know, we want so badly to be able to just point to something that said that something else will take care of this. It's the else in the question, you know, like what else can we do? Because the what else, like if we're like, if we think that it's else, it means that we think that we're doing something right now with the police. But we're not. Like, literally nothing is happening. You can, like, <laughs> you can listen to uh, some of the, the uh, testimony of and the experiences of the journalists who are going through this. They are all saying, like, we've made these reports to the police and nothing is happening. Yes, that is how police operate. It's a mirage. It is a mirage that makes you think that something is happening when nothing is happening. That is awful. So we have to start from the point of not what else can we do, but what the fuck should we be doing in 
the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and also recognizing that the, that the solutions are uh, multifaceted. Like there is no solution. Like the fact that there isn't a universal access point to address violence against women in this country uh, is a demonstration of that, right? So, you know, let's go back to Christopher Freeland and Buddy there. What can be done about this guy? He was just on fucking camera and we know who he is and we know what he does. And we know that he is bold enough to go up to the minister of finance and tell him to get, get tell uh, a fellow fucking Albertan to get out of his fucking province. Again, what are the interventions then that a situation like that triggers? Uh, there are none other than the fucking cops knocking on his door and maybe giving him a fucking high five because they probably hate Christopher Freeland too, right? This is the fucking loop that we find ourselves in. You know, seeing seeing post media calling on more policing and more collaboration between police and social media platforms as a way to protect free speech. My fucking God, this is not a corporation that cares about free speech. This is a corporation that fucking sells newspapers off for fucking parts, doesn't care about collapsing newsrooms, has completely transformed um, what is considered like the center in this country by, by just like pounding us with right wing fucking thought. And they're the voices with the Canadian Association of Journalists and other fucking outlets calling for more fucking police and better police coordination. Who? Who? Ottawa police? Fucking Peel police? The RCMP out west? Fucking Toronto police? The fucking SQ? The fucking SPVM in Montreal? Who? What fucking police? No, this is a distraction. And every single media company that signed that list, there are so many things that they could be doing to make, to make journalists more safe. And a lot of it goes back to how they cover issues. And if you talk to people who are completely disenfranchised by the news and about all of the problems with the news, they will point to uh, holes or errors or gaps in reporting or amalgams that, that collapse complex things into very simple explanations that don't fucking work. Uh, you know, I heard uh, one example from this past weekend, uh, the House, CBC's ha- The House, having someone from the World Ec- Economic Forum on to explain that actually they're good guys. The World Economic Forum is great. And anybody that mentions the, the World Economic Forum in a, in a right wing critical kind of conspiracy way, they're they're wrong because actually the World Economic Forum is great. And I listen to that as a left wing person and think, wait, <laughs> sorry, what? <laughs> this this is the problem is that we've got a collapsing liberal democracy uh, both in Canada the United States and liberal media is fucking going along down with them and so unfortunately guess who's going to get the fucking flack it's going to be the frontline journalists that is going to be how this happens and their bosses are going to do everything possible to wash their hands of any solution and tell Canadians that the solution lies in policing like it's as simple as that and if you want a whole fucking list of options, I mean, I've written something and it'll probably come out and you can get a whole list of, of things. But, you know, something as simple as sending out a single fucking journalist to cover the convoy. How many fucking news agencies did that? Why were they not sent out in groups of four or five or ten? Like, why didn't they have protection? Like, why didn't the protection of just strength in numbers, not like actually security agents? And I think that that's what we're going to probably see more of is private underpaid security guards now accompanying journalists. And all of this does is serves to reinforce that journalists are further and further and further away from the ground, which breeds more cynicism and breeds a, this feedback loop that will not stop unless we actually break with the status quo, which the Post Media is, the Toronto Stars, the fucking CBC of the world absolutely will never allow. The fucking corporate piece of shit that run every one of these agencies will never allow it. And so they will always bounce it while at the same time giving good PR to the fucking cops, even though we know a majority of Canadians are very critical of police and support defunding the police. So, oh, now we've got some pretty powerful fucking voices in there doing copaganda for us by even suggesting that they're capable of stopping the harassment that journalists are experiencing. The other thing, the other um, responsible party that's being left out of a lot of this discussion is, you know, the media that employs these journalists <laughs> like they also have some responsibility to um support uh journalists who are experiencing this and to help mitigate um the the them receiving this sort of uh really troubling communication and so that's something that can be done um but also like if 
if it is the job of the journalists uh, to to you know continue to do their job unfettered and uh, without the fear of um, the fact that someone is you know watching you or um, uh, going to be putting you in danger, like the 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 employer also has a responsibility to follow up on these things and to find out if they are real threats. I think. And uh, the discussion about the employers yeah. as well is important. And then, of course, the discussion of prevention, which is, you know, let's bring Christian Freeland back like, <laughs> for this discussion. So much of violence and how violence operates um, and, uh, you know, gender-based violence in particular is about um, how our society is organized the different things that people have access to, whether it's their basic needs um, or education. I mean, too much for me to get into in this, these last few minutes, um, but we've discussed this on our podcast many times before. When it comes to violence, if we are constantly focused on the response, which is what, you know, the mirage that policing is, um, you know, we're never going to effectively tackle what needs to be tackled um, in order to prevent violence from coming up. And in terms of response, our focus shouldn't always be, as it is currently in society, um, our focus shouldn't always be on who the attacker uh, is, but what the victims and survivors need. And so these are places that we should start. And uh, in addition to the employers having some responsibility over the experience that they're the people that they employ have, um, they also, I think, have the responsibility of uh, responding in some way to support the victims and survivors and what they need after having some sort of experience like that. And we should have an institution that is universal in our society that does that work as well. And we don't. Yeah, I want to mention one other piece that is constantly ignored when we're talking about the far right in this country. And it's who historically is the most effective and best placed to actually fight the far right. And that's the fucking far left. That's socialists, it's anarchists, it's communists. And yes, our institutions on the far left are in fucking tatters. There's no question about that. But our ideas and ideology is not as rare as someone who um, might say it is um, giving commentary on the CBC or in, the, in post media. And this is where I get very frustrated because there's this like headless discussion about the far right and what is to be done about the far right. And the reason why police become the fucking solution to the far right is because we have a bunch of historically illiterate fucking journalists that are just happy to parrot like something they learned last year for the first fucking time and have not looked deeper than, you know, I don't know, decades and decades and decades of history. I mean, the idea that police could stop the far right is just so fucking hilarious that I I I, I can't even it's it's like it's like asking a fucking writer if they've ever heard of Shakespeare and them saying, no, who's that? You know, <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. Right. <laughs> but it's like, that's where we're at. Yeah. That's where we're at. A whole bunch of fucking writers that never heard of Shakespeare. And, you know, the, like socialism is is the most fucking significant confrontation to the far right. And the reason why the far right right now seems like they're winning and they're gaining ground and they're doing all this stuff is because we have no socialist confrontation to them. And part of the reason why we have no socialist confrontation to them is because we are so fucked as socialists in this country because there's literally no mass platform for us to talk about socialism. We are actively fucking den de denigrated or obscured from fucking discussions or ignored or silenced or whatever, 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 while at the same time we're receiving all the same fucking death threats and all the shit as everybody else we're talking about here. And it doesn't give average people any sense of that political balance of forces that is so fucking necessary in the fucking aftermath or in the crumbling of liberal democracy. Because liberalism is also just a tendency. It's hegemonic. It's been in control for fucking many years. It's all that a lot of people know. But it is not the natural order of governing. It's just it just is what it is now. And as it's crumbling, 
fascism is going to rise. Fascism obviously rises out of this fucking capitalist democracy fucking beast that has been created in the post-war period. And so where is the far left to be able to fight this stuff? If we had a fucking media that was diverse, uh, that allowed for fucking diversity of opinion rather than sh- like shaving everything off of the fucking left of the fucking liberals, we would be able to have honest conversations with this. But I- instead, most Canadians are like sitting in the dark trying to figure out what the fuck do we do with the, with the, about the far right without any idea of the role that the fucking far left has to play in this. And instead, we get this horseshoe theory of bullshit that is just like so fucking nauseating and incorrect and ridiculous. And so I hope people can think about that and think about like every time they see a so-called fucking right wing expert or someone who's explaining on the CBC what the fuck is to be done about these people. How often they talk about socialists and socialism or communist or or anarchist to actually fight against these forces. Uh, The answer is never. Right. And there's a reason for that. And there's a reason why those are the people talking about it on the air and not someone who might actually say the S word. One more thing to say. Just because it's fucking September, it's like the back to school episode, whatever. Students in Canada. Students in the U.S. just won some forgiveness of student loans. If you do not use this moment, (laughs) if you don't use this moment, come the fuck on. This is the time. Please, please, this year, this year, make this a radical student organizing year, organize for the elimination of student loans, the forgiveness of student loans, and for the elimination of tuition fees, especially after the last few years that we have had. You folks have excellent, this is an excellent time to make the excellent arguments that exist for free education. And uh, I'm just appealing to all of you students listening, make this a radical year of student organizing in this country. 